I get super goal-oriented, especially around the beginning of the year, and I start making all these plans. And I don't know how you do it, but for me, I've been functioning kind of in these 13-week cycles. Like, for the next 13 weeks, these are the things I'm working on, and health and fitness and, 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 and all this uh, spiritual growth and all these things. And so a good friend of mine, Carl, up in Baltimore, I, I called him a while back, and I was telling him my goals that I was working on here in 2018, and really excited. And I'm like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he's listened to all these things, and Carl's known me for like almost 20 years, and so he's listened to all of me, me laying all this stuff out, and, and I'm talking about it, and um, he goes, man, that, that sounds really great, man, all these things you're going to do. He says, uh, let me just ask you, what are you going to stop doing? And I was like, hey, we're talking about what I'm going to do. He's like, yeah, but I mean, like, if you're going to get it done, you're going to need to, like, probably cut some things out of your life to make room for the new things that you're going to be doing. I was like, oh, that's a good question, and, and I said, social media, that's what I'm going to stop doing. Um, and so uh, he's like, okay, great, go for it. See if it would like buy me some time, buy me some space, buy me some mental energy to do, to focus on some things. And so I cut out social media for my life a couple weeks ago and uh, have, have been doing that. And so far it's going great. I just want to report in on the, on the uh, experiment. Uh, so far it's been, it's been fine. I'm sure there's things I'm missing out on. Mostly, at least with Facebook, what I've missed out on is what everybody thinks about gun control. Apparently, that has been the, the hot thing. Uh, so I don't know what everyone thinks about it. Or maybe I do. Maybe it's the same thing we all thought about it the last time there was a big debate around it or whatever. I don't know. Uh, so I'm, I, I guess I'm missing out uh, on, on, on some of that stuff. But uh, for me, that's been a thing of like, hey, I need to like set this down for a while and maybe I'll come back to it or maybe I won't, but I want to set it down so that I can pick up some other things. And I think that idea of, hey, it's great that you have goals, great you want to go somewhere, what are you willing to set down or what are you going to lay down, what, what are you going to put away, uh, I think that's an important one for us to think about no matter, no matter where you're at. You're going to pick some things up and you're going to set some things down because that's really how you're going to change. Change just doesn't come from learning new things or getting insight. Maybe in this Colossian series that we've been in, maybe the light bulb has come on for you in a couple ways. You're like, oh, that's a great point. That's really interesting. Um, and we think, oh, now that I know this thing, now I'm going to change. But the reality is uh, insight alone doesn't typically lead to change. Milton Erickson said it this way, change will lead to insight more often than insight will lead to change. And I think there's something true to that. If we are going to grow and be transformed and become all of who God is calling us to be, if we are going to live out our identity rooted in Christ like we've been talking about these last couple weeks, if we're going to live that out, we're going to need to lay some things down and pick some things up. We're going to need to take action with our faith and not just know some different things, okay? So I want to get into it today. We're going to read Colossians 3 and... Um, and you just heard all the verses there that we're going to go through, and there's a lot of topics to cover here, and this is going to be a shotgun blast, okay? So there's just, we're going to hit a lot of stuff uh, all at once, and uh, I, I couldn't see another way of doing it unless we, we did a sermon on every single verse in here, which would mean we're in Colossians till Christmas, and I, I, I didn't want to do that. So uh, we're going to jump in here, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Paul is going to start with, here are some things you need to lay down. As, as a follower of Christ, okay? And, and, and these things are going to, I, I think, challenge us. And let's, let's be real about it. There's some hard stuff in here. Hang with it because it's going to go dark here for a little bit. And then it'll, it'll, uh, it'll pick up there as we get further down into the verses, all right? Start with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. 
all right, Paul gives a sin list here. And he starts with, and he says, you need to put some things to death. And he starts with sexual immorality. That in Greek is the word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. Um, it would, the idea of sexual immorality would, would encompass anything outside of sex within the context of marriage. So he's saying, put to death, get rid of these things in your life, sex outside of the context of marriage. So that would include pornography, adultery. It would include uh, all, all sorts of things that you might be able to think of in, kind of in, in that in that realm. And he's speaking to a Roman culture that had a very permissive attitude towards sex, particularly for men. Uh, in the Roman world, uh, sex was, you have a spouse, you have a mistress, you have slaves that you can have sex with, and then there would be temple prostitutes that would, people would visit as part of their worship of the gods. And so this is a very permissive culture that you've probably, uh, uh, that you've probably seen portrayed on, on, in shows about you know, the Roman Empire or whatever. This is a very permissive culture. And so Paul's speaking to Christians who live amongst that. And he's like, yeah, you need to put this to death in you um, as, a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. And, and yes, that was true in his day, but I think it's also true in, in our day. Um, the reason sexual immorality shows up on so many of these lists in the New Testament is because it wrecks people, and it, it has a way of getting its hooks into us. And I sit across the table from a lot of marriages uh, that have been uh, damaged by this and, 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 really, and, and really ripped. And uh, Paul doesn't want that. God doesn't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. I, I don't want that for you. There, there, nobody wants to see that. And so he names it and says, look, you got to address this. Uh, this is pervasive. And if you don't put these things to death, this is going to destroy uh, some things in your life. Now, I'm not going to talk too much more about that particular one. I did a whole sermon on it back on November 5th, I think. If, so if you go back, uh, a, a sermon called The New Sexual Revolution, you can go on our website and listen to maybe a longer treatment of, of that idea if you want to dig into that for fun this week. Um, but he lists other things in the list. He says uh, passions, which you could tie into lust, right? He, he lists evil desires, covetousness, desiring something that's not yours, you're, whatever, you know, I want that thing. And then idolatry. Idolatry is not a word we use a lot in our culture, but in the ancient world, uh, Paul addresses it a lot. Jesus would address it. Idolatry is anything you put in front of God. In fact, the Ten Commandments, which you've probably heard of, and you may know some of them, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, that kind of thing. The, the beginning of the Ten Commandments it starts with this idea of idolatry. It says, don't have any other gods before me. There are lots of things you could choose to worship, literally little statues like a golden calf or something, but there are other things you could also choose to worship. And when you put all of those things, you take anything, even if it's a good thing, if you make it the ultimate thing, that is idolatry because God belongs in that space of ultimate. So if you take good things, your children, your career, making money, uh, success, anything, you take those and you make them the ultimate thing, that is what Paul refers to here as idolatry. And so we need to be aware of that stuff because our hearts make idols very easily and our culture encourages us to make idols out of our jobs, out of our careers, out of a, out of a spouse, out of a dating relationship, out of our children. Uh, we're encouraged to make idols out of these things. And so Paul says, hey, we got to put to death this, this idolatry, this bowing down to so many things in our, in our culture. And then Paul says, God is going to wipe that stuff from the face of the earth, that uh, it, it is a count of, on uh, all of that stuff is why the wrath of God is coming. Now, the wrath of God is an extremely unpopular idea, right? Uh, of the things I could talk about up here, this would be a candidate for one of the least popular, this idea that God is like, bring in the heat. And we don't like that. 
But if you think about it in terms of, let's say if you're a parent or you uh, have been around a lot of parents and see how they interact with the children, um, there is anger there at times. And some of it's not right, right? And I think we, as parents, we've all blown this, right? But there is legitimate justified anger at things that, that um, are done to your kids that are hurtful or things that your kids do when they hurt other relationships and they burn things down. And in the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, looks at us, his children, and says, there are things you're doing that are, that's just killing each other. They're, they're literally killing each other, and then in other ways, just really damaging. And there's anger about that, and it's justified. If I see, you know, if, if, if you hurt another person, you are hurting God's child. And, and, and he's saying, look, God is going to deal with this stuff one day and, and, and wipe it off from the face of the earth. And then he says something that I think is a little bit hopeful in here. At the end, he says, in these two, you, in these, in these, you two once walked when you were living in them. Meaning that there was a time when your life was into all of that stuff, and he says, it, it's gone. Like, it's it, it, not anymore. You're not walking in that anymore. There's a new you. There's something has shifted and, and changed in you, and you don't have to stay there. You don't have to live there. You walked in that. It was the air you breathed for a while, but you don't have to stay there anymore. And maybe you can think back in your life, man, that list, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, uh, you know, passion, sexual immorality, that was like my four years at JMU or whatever. Like, you know, maybe you've got this list of like, oh, five years ago or 10 years ago or last year or last week, this was my life. And Paul's saying, but there can be a new you that doesn't go down that road anymore. You've gone down that road. You know where it ends and it doesn't end well. You've, you've pursued pleasure as far as it'll go till you're empty. You've burned the candle, not at both ends, but at every end of the candle you could think to burn the thing. You've burnt it, and it doesn't end well for you. And Paul's saying there's a, there's a different road that, that you can walk down. There's hope. There's a better road. And then continuing on, verse 8, this isn't going to get easier, right? He's going he's gonna to lay into a couple more. Uh, start, starting with verse 8, it says this. But now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's another list he gives, okay? And, he, and really... Three of these are, are, are around unjustified anger, anger, wrath, and malice, the way he's kind of using them there, saying um, you, need to, you, need to, you need to check yourself and, and, and address those things. And then two of them are about how we speak, slander, and then what he says is obscene talk coming from our mouths. And he connects it to the old self, new self idea. He said, look, before you knew Christ, before you were baptized into him, before you became a follower, your old self was into these things. You are a new creation now. Your new self, um, you, you, you need to put away those things in, in the new person. Uh, you're not made for the, the, these dark things. You, you're a new creation, and so you've got to walk down a different road. And he's challenging us to get serious about these, these sins. He says, put them to death. And then, he, and then the second list, he says, put them away, right? Um, I, I think just overall you could say, he wants you to be serious about your stuff. He wants you and I to really look at this thing for all the ugliness that it is and actually deal with it. 
And, and if you do that, if you get serious about your sins, if you get serious about your anger problems, if you get serious about your pride, if you get serious about your lust, if you get serious about the language that you use, I think what you find out is, once you dig into there, is you, you find out how deep that rabbit hole goes, right? You, you, you look inside yourself and you go, oh, this is actually deep in me. There's, there's darkness in my own heart. Like, if you said... Uh, he talks about obscene talk. If you say, you know, I, I, I relate to that one. I, I, uh, I probably cuss too much. I have a potty mouth or whatever you want to say, right? Um, and so you, you think, uh, it's probably bad. I probably shouldn't do that. And you think, oh, just, you know what it is? Just every once in a while, a, a, a bad word will just kind of fly out of me. And we think it like comes from like here to here or something. Like, oops, no filter. I just said it, right? Jesus taught that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. In other words, no, you didn't just accidentally say the thing. You said the thing because there's something in you deeper that needs to be addressed. And that's true with any list of sins like this. You can't just play whack-a-mole with the list and say, oh, I talk, I just cuss a little too much, let's just stop that bam, you know, and I'm going to get that. Oh, a little bit too much lust, bam, let's get that, you know, and we just, we just play whack-a-mole with everything that pops up. Until you address why the machine keeps sticking the moles up out of the machine um, and what's really going on in there, you, you won't change. You'll, you'll ma- manage some things. You, you'll get passable with coworkers or friends or family for a bit, um, but it, you, you're not going to be really changed. And, and, I, and that's where we have to look and say, do I really want this? Do I really want a renovation of my heart? Do I really want to be reformed into the character of Christ and have him work me over? Because I think if we were honest, a lot of us would say, yeah, I don't really want that. What I want is Jesus to come in and fix a couple things. Like, I got a couple things that I don't like about me, and, I, and so if Jesus doesn't like them about me, then maybe he'll fix them and we'll just work on those. And Jesus comes in and he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll deal with that thing. Also, let's shine a light into all the dark corners and see where all the stuff is, and let's deal with it. We don't want renovation. We don't want to be stripped down to the studs and rebuild the thing because there's been so much damage. What we want is Jesus comes in and, like, moves the furniture around and gives us a new coat of paint. And that's, that's not where the lasting change will come from. Paul says, hey, look at the stuff that's there in you, in us, and put it to death. Meaning, get serious about it. We get serious about so many things in our culture. We get serious about, I got to make money. We get serious about my dating life. We get serious about my health. We get serious about what we eat. We get serious about our political opinions. We get serious about a lot of things. Have you ever gotten serious about your sin and said, I really, I'm going to get serious and deal with this? Um, and, and have you ever come up with a plan to put that stuff away? Have you ever asked God to deliver you? Have you ever clung to him and said, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to deliver me. And so that's what he's challenging us to, is to really pick up the rock and stare at all of the ugly things that are underneath and, and, and go to work on them with his help. Go, go to work on those things and, and, and start uh, getting them uh, out of your life. Now, there's a good side to this as well. 
Um, so that's, that's the dark tour, right? Let's look at where it goes from here, verse 12. He says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So Paul knows you can't just stop doing something. You're gonna, you can't just lay things down. You're going to pick something up. If you cast the demon out, other things are going to come into that space, you know, You say, I'm not going to think about this. You are going to think about this. So what are we putting in that space? And he says, which is why I wanted to cover all of these verses this morning. I want to cover both sides of this. He says, all right, you you, you lay down those things. Here's what I want you to pick up. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I think we know what those words mean. Maybe meekness, um, in our culture, we get it confused with weakness, probably because it rhymes. But meekness is actually the word means strength under control. So in order to be meek, you actually have to be powerful. You just have to be willing to lay it down and keep it under control. And so he says, here's, here's what I want. I want you to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are the qualities that you should be having. And look at how he roots that. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In other words, the identity piece we talked about last week, he's saying, because this is who you are, this is what you need to pick up and, and do. Not be kind, be humble, be meek, and be patient, and then maybe God will love you. He's saying, no, this is who you are. You are his beloved, holy child. Therefore, act in these ways. Go do these things. Now, as you look at that list, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, how many of you would love to have those character qualities in your boss at work? Be all right, wouldn't it? If you, were, if you worked for someone who was just very well described by that list, wouldn't you be like, that, that's what I want? How many of you would like that list in your coworkers? Man, if I had kind, humble, patient coworkers, it'd be awesome. How many of you would like that list in the person that you're dating? Put that on your match profile. All right, like I'm looking for someone who is compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, like all that, right? What, what, if, what if that's the person you're dating? Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want that in your spouse if you're married to say, oh, I, I want this? Aren't these the character qualities that you would love to see your children display as they grow into adulthood? We would love that stuff. We would love that list in everyone else. But would you love that list in you? Do you want people at your funeral one day, would you like someone to stand up and say, I mean, you won't be there, so you won't mind, but, but you know, would you, would you want it to be said of you that you were these things? I would. I think you would, too. These are things that, that we're, we're working towards. Um, I can't make other people be those things. All I can do is ask God to work on those things in me and, and, and go after those personally. Verse 13, continuing on. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is challenging stuff. He's going into the relationships in the body here, and he's talking about, hey, we need to bear with one another. We need to be uh, forgiving one another in, in the body of Christ. That means if you have a complaint with someone, you go to that person and say, hey, here's this challenge, here's this thing, here's where I think you've done me wrong or whatever, um, and, and maybe that person asks for forgiveness, or maybe you've done someone wrong, you go to them and you ask for forgiveness, but you work it out. Out is what he calls the body of Christ to do. Be patient with one another and work your stuff out and forgive each other, not because uh, it's so awesome for you, although that's part of it, but he says forgive each other because God has forgiven you. We are forgiven people. 
We, we, we come to Christ, our, we were baptized in him, our sins are washed away, we are made right with God, and we are forgiven. And he says, because you've been forgiven, you go and forgive others. Now here's the line in that verse that I wish was in there. If I could rewrite that for Paul, because he needs an editor. Uh, you know, what I would want to say is, if you have a complaint, go to that person, and if they say they're sorry, then forgive them. That's how I want to write it. I want to forgive people who repent. I want to forgive people who are like, oh, yeah, dude, I really did you wrong. I'm really sorry. And he doesn't say that. He just says, no, you need to forgive. Jesus does this too. He's like, you need to forgive 70 times, seven times. You got to forgive more times than you can even count. Why? Because when you forgive someone, it changes you. It doesn't necessarily change them. It might. And it often has the power to do so, but it definitely changes you. Lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness, leads to something called bitterness. And bitterness just keeps you in the past forever. You just stay stuck on that relationship that you didn't forgive. So we are called to forgive one another, not because it's going to be so awesome for the person you're forgiving, but because it's going to change you. You're going to grow. They may never ask for your forgiveness. They may never acknowledge that they've done something wrong. And yet, we're still called to be the people who lead out in forgiveness because God has forgiven us. And I know this is easy to say and hard to do and it takes time and it's a process. I understand that. If I said to you right now, this little thought experiment, think about the person who has hurt you in the past. Think about someone. We won't go too long into there. I don't want it to get so dark in here. All right. Think about someone who's hurt you. Now think about forgiving them. Emotionally, what does that kick up in you? it probably kicks up some form of fear. I don't want to forgive that person. If I forgive them, there will be nobody left to hate them. That is my job. I'm supposed to actively continue to hate them for what they did to me. Who's going to carry that job if I, if I, if I stop it? You know? And Paul says, that's not, that's not yours to carry. You're not the judge. Your job is to forgive. Even if they never acknowledge it as sin, even if they never say they're sorry. All right, last part. Let's, let's finish this out. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Love, peace, gratitude. He says these things are supposed to live inside of you. And then he says teach and admonish. In other words, uh, point these things out to one another. Reinforce these truths. Live them out as, as the body. He even tells us to sing them. Uh, sing to one another. What's that about? Well, I speak truth to you up here, and, and so you hear some things. You go, okay, I'm challenged. Let me wrestle with that, and God's doing a work through that. But when we sing things, it kind of lands differently on you. Something about truth combined with melody kind of makes it lodge in your head. Um, and maybe on a Thursday morning when you're frustrated with something, maybe a song that we've been worshiping together with comes to your mind. You go, oh, yeah, this is kind of related to that. Um, that, is, that is a powerful, uh, a, a powerful thing. I'm not, um, a, a, another powerful thing about us singing together here is, is, is this. I'm, I'm not much of a crier. Uh, I'm not 
uh, you know, it doesn't flow easily for me. Uh, um, so, so when we, uh, when we gather together and I see someone singing and they are moved by God and they are in touch with that and, they, and they're teary, I can think of different people over the years, um, I think there's a power in that and I really admire it. And, I, and, I, and if I know their story, I know that God's doing something and that God's at work in their life and there's something heavy going on right now and if, and if tears are flowing, I'm like, that, that's awesome. I'm, I'm not, uh, and, and it's challenging for me. I, I met with someone a, a few weeks ago and uh, and she was laying some pretty heavy stuff. We were talking and some pretty heavy stuff, and she was very emotional about it. And I was feeling it too, and I wasn't crying. So um, I was at that place where you're, you're just about to well up in tears, you know? Like, which was, and I, I told a friend, I, I called a friend of mine. I was like, hey, um, I had a conversation earlier, and I almost welled up. And he's like, well, that's progress for you. Like, I, I was like, I know. I know, I was like on the edge, you know? And I, look, the Lord is working on me about this. But uh, the, the, there's something to that, you know? And, and I'm sitting there talking to her, and she's teary. And I, and I finally had to say, I was like, hey, um, I just want you to know I am feeling you right now. <laughs> like, I am feeling what you're, what you're saying. This is, this is heavy stuff. I know it doesn't show up here, but it is actually happening in here. And I, like, I feel like I need to make that disclaimer that like, I am, I'm moved by this thing. Um, so I, I really respect when I see someone else moved, and, and that's what a lot of times we see in this community. You, you may come in here, the world is nutty, your job is nutty, um, there's a lot of stress, you're just thankful you could even crawl into the bird theater on a Sunday morning, and, and you're just hoping someone will high-five you and say, thanks for being here, and I'm glad you made it, and I, I totally get that, um, but when you enter into this place, what we're doing in here is teaching and admonishing and challenging and singing and trying to be thankful and trying to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts um, so that we can gather, so that we can, we, we gather here to be restored when we worship so that we can scatter again and go out into their culture and, and be strong. The other thing that I think in, in the body of Christ we can do is to gather up outside of this room, in small groups, in starting point, in classes, in, in service together. We can gather up and get to know each other in someone's house, at a coffee shop, uh, at a place of business where we, we come together, we say, hey, what's going on in your life? Where are you at? We pray. The, the kind of things you can't do in this room very well, we can do them elsewhere. And there's a great power to that because uh, we are changed by being in community. Community has the power to change and shape us. We think, oh, the way I'm going to change is by, like, just on my own, making goals and crushing them. And some people do that, but not many people. The reality is a lot of us are changed and shaped and formed in community when we are rubbing up against other people and letting them speak into our lives and we speak into their lives. Uh, the change and growth comes from that. And that's something, that's something that's harder for us to get at in our culture. One of the things I think about the church in Colossae that Paul was writing to, if you were a follower of Jesus in the church of Colossae in the first century, guess what church you were a part of? The church in Colossae, like you had no options. You had an entire pagan culture and then you and a couple of your friends who were like following Jesus. There wasn't like, in Colossae, there wasn't like, you know, 
Paul's a pretty good pe- preacher, but we like this other guy over here better. Or like, no, uh, she's such a gifted worship leader. We want to go to that church. We're going to listen to her. Oh, the children's ministry over here is so awesome. Like, there wasn't that kind of thing in the ancient world. If you were a follower of Jesus and you lived in Colossae, you just were with those people. And I don't want to get nostalgic about the good old days and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying all that. Um, but I am saying maybe we miss something in our culture today when we pick and choose a la carte and when we, we kind of take a consumer approach to our faith. There's value to, you know what, I'm just going to dive in, I'm going to stick it out. When it gets hard, I'll stick that out as well, and I'll challenge, and I'll grow, and I'll, and I'll be involved and let it shape me. In, in a lot of ways, it's, it's similar to marriage that way. One of, the, one of the strengths of marriage, and we'll talk about that a lot more next week, but one of the strengths of marriage is that it, it, it sanctifies, it helps you become holy. And the reason it does that is you're in a covenant commitment, you're saying, I'm in this thing. And within the context of that commitment, uh, someone can get to know you really well and they can see all the good and the bad of you. And they can challenge you in a way that says, I'm challenging you, but I'm not going to leave you. I will stay here and be involved. And, and, and I wonder if we miss out on some of that in, in a culture where we pick and choose on so many relationships that we just kind of dial in and then when it gets hard, I, I will, I will uh, pull away. So lean into community um, because it can shape you. Lastly, this. Um, Whenever we read these lists in the New Testament, they can be challenging to us. You know, you pick sexual immorality and covetousness and idolatry and anger and slander and obscene talk and all these things. And at some point, probably as we've been going through this, you get this lump in your throat. And you sort of go like, ugh, like that. That's the thing. And that is not me shaming you. Because I wrestle with it too. I just have to do it before I get up here to talk about it. Like that's the hardest part of getting up here and talking about it is wrestling with it in my own life as well. That is not me shaming you. That is God's spirit convicting you and saying, hey, hey, here's the thing I want to work on. And maybe there's something in this list or maybe it's not in this list, but maybe there's something in the list that, that God is saying, this one right here, this is your thing. Let's go. Let's work on it. Maybe God is calling you to lay some things down and get serious about dealing with those things, to to literally repent and say, I'm not going to walk down that road anymore. I think this is one of the reasons people don't like to read the Bible. Oh, man, I can't read. The Bible's hard to understand. That's not the problem. The problem isn't the parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. The problem is the parts of the Bible that are easy to understand, and I don't like them. That's the problem. Oh, man, this is, this is hard stuff. God's dealing with me on this thing. So are you ready to put some things to death, to, to, to lay down some things that are hindering you? What is God telling you that you need to lay down? And then the other question is, what are you going to pick up? What, is, what are the positive things you're going to lean into when you, when, you, when you sweep the area clean of the, of the garbage? What are you going to then fill it with? What environments or habits or disciplines um, are you going to pick up? I was, uh, another pastor here in town interviewed me this week for a podcast that he does, a leadership podcast. And so he interviewed me and we talked this week. And I didn't know what he was going to talk about. I was just kind of going in there, just going to wing it, see what questions he asks me. He asked me a little bit about the transformation class I teach and some of those change concepts. But then he just asked me about my own leadership and life and family and all that. And he said this question to me. He said, uh, hey, um, What's saving your life right now? 
And, you know, when a pastor asks you what's saving your life, there's one answer, right? Jesus? I was like, hey, I've been to Sunday school. I know the answer. It's Jesus. I don't even know the question. The answer is Jesus. doesn't matter the question. You're a minister. You're asking me. I'm supposed to say Jesus. So that's what I wanted to say, and we kind of actually joked about that a little bit. I'm like, well, I'll be Jesus, but, um, and it's true. What is saving my life right now? Jesus is. God is at work, right? But here's what the answer I gave. I said, right now, uh, journaling, which is not an answer I thought I would ever say. Journaling, like literally taking a pen and a notebook and writing down what I'm praying to God about, what he's telling me, writing down three things I'm thankful for, writing down what scripture I'm reading, writing down what my goals are and what I'm doing to, to hit those goals, writing out how my schedule is going to fit in with those goals and, and all of that. That's, that's the thing. That is the habit or discipline that I'm picking up right now that is helping me move along and, 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 and grow. And I don't know if that would work for you, but I do want to challenge you to, to, to figure out what would and, and think about it and say, okay, I'm going to lay some things down and I'm going to pick some things up. And uh, I, I think God can work through that stuff and really change you and, and, and grow your faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, it's challenging stuff to look at lists like this that um, highlight some things that we don't want to think about. But I, I pray, God, that we all wrestle these things down in our own hearts, one, and then two, we connect with someone in community and say, hey, this is where I'm at, this is the struggle, and, um, and, and, and confess so that we can uh, say some things out loud and start moving forward and be, being healed. God, I'm so thankful that for this community. I pray that as we grow, we are uh, people who are compassionate hearts, we're kind, meek, patient, um, all of those things that you call us to be. Uh, may that be true. Uh, as it may have been true of the church at Colossae, may that be true of, of Area 10 as well, that we, uh, we grow in this and, and love better in this city. Thank you, Lord, for this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.